But we are continuing on in our study of Hosea. <clears throat> Today we're going to be looking at Hosea chapter 10 verses 1 through 8. And our uh, message title for today is Ending Worship. And I've thought about that for the last couple of days as I've been preparing the message today. There's not a, a way to present that statement in a positive light. The ending of worship. And we'll see today as we go through Scripture, particularly the Lord is, is talking about putting an end to the mixed worship of the northern kingdom and how they have mixed in these idols the the balls and the ashtras and they have tainted the worship of the lord and they they continue on to gleefully worship god but they have mixed in these other things and we'll see today uh as as we go through the scripture that these these are the things that the lord desires to put an end to and what i want us to be thinking about as we as we proceed this morning is that god desires the same in this age for our heart that our worship would not be tainted that our worship would not be polluted we would not come before the lord with any other affection for anything else that we would have no other idols before him so i'll read for us this morning hosea chapter 10 verses 1 through 8 israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit the more his fruit increased the more altars he built as his country improved he improved his pillars their fault, their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. For now they will say, we have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. And a king, what could he do for us? They utter mere words with empty oaths. They make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Beth-Avon. Its people mourn for it, and so do its idolatrous priests, who rejoiced over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as a tribute to the great king. Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars. And they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. So as we look at this somber word this morning, this particular passage of scripture is it's laid out in 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 understandable patterns it's it's um it, we have three different things that we're looking at today we're we're looking at the ending of the cult we're looking at the ending of the king and we're also looking at the ending of the capital so we see god coming in and and through hosea is making these proclamations about these idols and and we see the, the first thing that we talk about 
is Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. Why is Israel fruitful? Obviously, Israel is fruitful because God commanded it to bear fruit. He made it so. This is this is something that, that we in this country need to, to think about very carefully because I, I have been in my life poor and then I have been in a situation where we're doing okay, but I go other places and realize actually I've never been poor. I've always had a roof over my head. I've always had some food that I could eat. Maybe it wasn't enough. But it, for periods of time, but I have always had food that I can eat. I have always had clothing. I've always had a means of, of getting around if I needed to. I had a, a bicycle if I wanted, but I, I, I was never in destitution. But there are people around the world that live in destitution. We, we used to uh, participate in the 30-hour the famine, and, and, and kind of the tagline was one dollar would feed one person for one day. How much do we value a dollar? You can't buy an L8 for a dollar. And so the, the idea is our wealth in this country is tremendous. We're tremendously fruitful in a, in a material sense. We have yielded much fruit. If someone in this country desires to go and make a good living for themselves, if they're willing to work hard, they likely can do so. That opportunity exists here, much in the same way that Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. We can take for granted our fruit trees. If you have an apple tree, you know, every, every summer you're going to go out and you're going to get apples. In the fall, you're going to have, they're going to fall off the tree. They're going to pile up and be a nuisance that we take that for granted. But what we come to understand is that, that this is so because Israel has followed God. Israel has, in their best way, they have followed and have been faithful to God, but all that has changed. Everything that God has set out for his people to do, they've turned aside from. So the, the first meaning, we see this idea, this, this spreading vine. Um, we think of um, in Genesis 29.4, I believe that Naphtali is a spreading vine. And the idea is that it multiplies greatly. And the vine of Israel has gone everywhere and, and is fruitful. So there's, there's much. And this imagery would have been very understandable for uh, the people of the northern kingdom, for the Israelites to understand because they're an agrarian society. They understood vines. They understood wine was a, a, an important part of their diet. It was an important part of their economy. So this, this idea, they would understand that they were prosperous. But the second meaning is um, the, more, the more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. And his country improved, so his pillars improved. So Hosea is trying to convey to them, as, as you have grown in wealth, so has your sin grown. Your sin is multiplied. We see from... Matthew seven nineteen. what happens to a vine when it withers and dies and when it ceases to produce fruit? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down 
and thrown into the fire. So this is almost an this is almost an ironical statement. It's, it is Hosea saying, "You have borne much good fruit, but you have also squandered what you've been given because you used that for your idols and for your for your pillars. You have taken what the Lord has given you, and you have." wasted it you have perverted it and the lord will take this from you the israel the metaphor of israel as the vine it hasn't been fulfilled yet the purpose of the vine we see in isaiah chapter 5 isaiah chapter 5 1 through 7 i'll read this for us um, the lord has has a purpose for israel Let me sing for my beloved, my love concerning his vineyard. My beloved hand, my beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds so that they do not rain, so that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, outcry. The Lord gave them plenty, and they misused it. We also can remember how how some of this kind of came together. The Lord is the Lord of the harvest. The Lord brings about fruit. But where did the Israelites turn for their crops to do well? They turned to other gods. They looked to other gods to bless their crops. And this is from Hosea chapter 2. I'll read Hosea chapter 2, 7 through 13. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand, and I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her sabbaths, and her appointed feasts." And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. I will will punish her for the feast days of the balls, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself 
with her ring and her jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. So we remember this. This has been several weeks back. But this is God's declaration that I gave you all these things, but you didn't recognize. You didn't give to me the credit that was due. You didn't understand that these things came from me. You attributed them to your false gods. So what will I do? I will take them out of your hand. In Hosea 9, chapter 1, it says, Rejoice not, O Israel, exult not like the peoples, for you have played the whore, forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wages on all the threshing floors. It was just last week. Do we have an understanding that, that God has, has, he has set himself against Israel in a very firm way, and Hosea is pronouncing their destruction to them bit by bit. He is dissembling their cult. He is taking the things that they love, these things that they have mixed with their worship of God, and he is destroying them, pulling back the blessings and when we don't have the blessings of the Lord on us, what comes? Destruction. See, Israel's heart was supposed to belong to God. God made them. God set them apart for his purposes. Deuteronomy 6, chapter 5. We all should know this one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. God set apart his people for this kind of love for him, but they rejected him. Instead, they loved their things. Their desire was for riches, for crops. Their desire was for pleasure. Their desire was for them to be able to worship the way they wanted to worship and whom they wanted to worship. They join the worship of God with the worship of false gods. Listen with me to this uh, warning also from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 18. Deuteronomy 29:18. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord God to go and serve the gods of the nations. Beware, lest there be any among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. How judicious are we about those that we worship with? How careful are we to examine one another and ourselves to know that we are in the faith? How carefully do we walk together with our, our, our fellow Christians in order to make sure that we don't stray, that we don't intermingle in our worship something that is impure. As a people, as, as Western Christianity, uh, we're not careful with this at all. We mix in all kinds of things. We, you know, we have all sorts of, of trappings from culture that we 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 mix in in a, in an effort to be more palatable and more enticing for the world when we're called to do what beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit 
Why do we fall into these patterns? Why do we mix things in with our worship? Why do we, why do we go after these things? Is God not good enough? We go after these things because of our sinful flesh. We feed this sinful flesh. We succumb to the desire for worldly things because we aren't on guard. We don't beware. We don't set ourselves up a hedge to keep us from, from moving into things that God despises. Let's look at the second half of uh, verse 2 as well as verse 3. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. For now they will say, we have no king. We do not fear the Lord. And a king, what could he do for us? So what Hosea is, is prophesying or what he is warning of is the coming of the Assyrian king. Assyria is going to come and cart off everything that they have. What they don't cart off, they'll destroy, including the people. The people they don't carry away, they'll, they'll put to the sword. The things that the Israelites love so much are going to be crushed. Their pillars, their altars, the things that they have built with their hands, that they worship, where they bring their offerings, those things will be destroyed. The king will be an impotent king because when, when Assyria comes, there's nothing he can do. They're better off not even having a king. What can he do? We have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. What a statement. And this is, this is Hosea explaining to them the way that they actually are, but probably would never say. Have you ever heard someone, maybe a preacher, or have you ever read something from the Word that you find offensive? And probably the reason is because we're guilty of whatever sin is being called out. Hosea is, is explaining to them, the Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. You'll, we'll, he'll take away your king. They begged God for a king. And God wanted to give them a king. God delighted to give them a king, but they wanted a particular kind of king. And we'll see... Um, more of that here in a little bit, but God is now he's going to take that away. Punishment from God is the destruction of their altars and their kingship. Deuteronomy 28, chapter 36, Deuteronomy 28, 36 says, The Lord will bring you and your king, whom you, whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. Do you, do you want to worship the balls and the asteras? Do you want to, to worship these, this calf that you set up in Beth Avon? Do you have this desire to worship these idols? Fine. Then you'll be carted away to Assyria, and they'll have plenty of those for you to worship there. But you will have no king. You have no, I will not be your God. Because you have declared with your mouth and with your actions that you don't desire to have God. 
You desire these other things. Fine, another king will overtake them. Also, God is, is going to, so God is going to break down the king, right? God's going to remove the king. In verses 4 and 5 of Hosea, uh, actually I'll read 4 through 6. They utter mere words with empty oaths. They make covenants, so judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of Bethaven. Its people mourn for it. And so do its idolatrous priests, those who rejoiced over it and its glory, for it has departed from them. So we see this royal and religious sin. One of the jobs of the king was to bring the people of God back to God. We see this stark contrast between Saul, who led the people into all kinds of idolatrous behavior. We, a couple weeks back um, from Samuel, Dale read for us that <clears throat> how Saul said, I, these people, you know, they wanted these, these calves and these sheep. I, what am I going to do? You know, I can't have them go against me. Uh, but we won. We put everything to death. We, we, we did what the Lord asked. But, you know, there's all these people. I, what am I going to do? Saul was an impotent king. Saul was an ineffective king because he didn't say, if you take these things as your own, the Lord will strike you down. If you remember way back, Achan the, hid the things under his tent because he just wanted a little bit of silver. He wanted to keep a little bit of the treasure. What happened there? The ground swallowed him whole. All of his family was killed because of his greed. But now we have a king. But instead of, of leading the people to paths of righteousness, where does Saul lead them? Farther and farther and farther away. But the contrast to that, we see David. David is a man with a heart after God's. He comes and he leads the people in worship to God. He brings them back. He devotes the battles that he goes into, he devotes to the Lord. Was he perfect? No, obviously not. But David's heart was after God. He was a king that wanted to ensure that the worship of Israel was pure, that it was right. But now we have in the northern kingdom, we have what? We have a bull, idol, in Samaria. We have this golden bull that people can come and worship. Oh, and we also have the other things too. Yeah, we, we still keep the feasts. We still keep all those things, but we kind of jazz them up a little bit. We bring in some of these other, some of this really cool stuff from these other religions that the people who lived here before us had. Um, and we just kind of mix it together a little bit to kind of, you know, it's more inclusive. It's more tolerant that way. Does that sound familiar? It's, it's scary and it's shockingly familiar. But their corruption manifests as idolatry. So the king's sin is neglect and a dereliction of his duty. And his neglect allows the people to sin greatly. He doesn't put a stop to their sinning. In fact, he joins them in it. 
In fact, he makes it possible. He sets up some idols so people won't go south, so they'll stay and worship here. So their their corruption is, is manifested as idolatry to the extent that they will mourn when Assyria comes in and carts off their bull idol. They will, they will mourn that because that is what their wicked heart desires. I think this was last week, but I'm going to read it again. Um, 1 Samuel 4, 21 and 22. 1 Samuel 41, 21 and 22. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. So this, this sort of mirrors that situation where, in, except that the idol that they're worshiping is what that they, they, they will miss so much. They, they cherish so much this idol that they'll be sad when it's gone. Uh, 6a, the thing itself will be carried to Is, uh, Assyria as a tribute to the great king. We see this a couple different times. If you conquer a nation and you're the king, what do you get? You get the spoils of war. You get the the first pick. You get the cool stuff. Well, if you have a bull made out of gold, obviously it's of great value. Most likely they would have attributed it to have some sort of spiritual power. You know, this is an attribution to a god. So it will go to the Assyrian king, and the bull will be a gift to the Assyrian king, looted and treasured. But you know what also will go as a gift to the Assyrian king? The northern kingdom's king, Israel's king. Well, this is a great prize. You know, the king of a, of a defending nation, they, they're in kind of a strange position because nobody can lay a hand on the king. He's going to survive the battle or he's going to survive the siege, and immediately he'll be brought out, and he'll be taken before the other king, because as the conquering king, you want to humiliate the opposing king. That will put fear into the other nations. So you you do this, you, you humiliate the other king, you take all of their stuff, and this is what is in store for Israel because of their wickedness because of their idolatry, and because of their unfaithfulness to God. Finally, God is going to remove the capital. Um, We see Israel's disobedience. Ephraim will be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. Israel is is a people devoid of sense. Because they are devoid of sense, they are a disobedient people. Verses 7 and 8 say, Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. So the, the punishment that will come to the capital, the, and not just a capital, this likely indicates the varying capitals of the city. And Dale talked about how 
there there were idols in, in a few different cities. And these these are capitals of sin. These are capitals where the greatest sin is practiced and where people people are free to worship however they see fit and they they mix with this uh, with their worship of God, these other things. And the punishment for those places is destruction, desolation, and death. The capital will be destroyed. The king will be carried off. He is helpless to resist. He's an impotent king because he has no power. Where does the power of the king come from? From God. He will also be a prize for Assyria like the bull. Hosea announces to the Israelites that the idols will be torn down as the previous kings failed to do. If you read through Kings and Chronicles, you see kind of this roller coaster of bad king, good king, okay king, bad king, bad king, okay, and you see them over and over and over. But what they all failed to do, even Josiah, the good boy, failed to tear down these high places. 1 Kings 14.23 1 Kings 14.23 It says, For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. So these are, these are the places. Where did they learn this practice? They didn't look on the internet. They learned this from the, the Canaanites that they failed to put to death. When God said, put everyone to destruction, but they're like, well, we'll keep these as slaves. And then they marry them, and then they, they, they adopt their religious practices. And they start building these high places. What are these high places for? They're for worship. They're for pagan worship. So these things will be destroyed. God will tear these down. Their idols are set for desolation. Thorns and thistles are a common descriptor we see uh, mainly in the Old Testament as, uh, as an indication that something is in ruin. Isaiah 32.13 Isaiah 32.13 says, For the soil of my people growing up in thorns and briars, yes, for all the jealous houses in the exultant city. So this imagery and context is that out of the soil, instead of producing fruit, thorns and thistles come. This is one of the banes of my existence. When we, our, all of us, when we go to our tree farm, we have these thorns everywhere. And they tear at you and they stab and they claw and they, they grip you. And they're incredibly hard to get rid of. We cut them back every year and they come right back just as big, as big around as your finger and incredibly sharp. And it is, it is a sign of desolation. It's a sign of ruin to see these things. It's not an inviting thing. So we see thorns and thistles also in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 13. Jeremiah 12, 13. They have sown wheat and reaped thorns. They have tired themselves out, but profit nothing. They shall be ashamed of their harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. What is the Lord angry about? Their worship, their faithlessness. 
how they have turned away from God to these idols. So great will the desolation be that death will be preferable to life. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe for a moment you thought it would be better if, if I were dead? I think we all may have those, those thoughts, those, those hopefully fleeting moments where your situation is so dire, you can't see a way forward, you can't see a way out, and you imagine death could not be worse than this. And this is a situation that Hosea is telling the Israelites, this is where you're going to be. As the Assyrians come like ants over the hill into your city, you're going to pray that the hills would cover you, that the, or the mountains would cover you, and the hills would fall on you. We see in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 16, Leviticus 26, 16, Then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease, and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. The idea of a siege in this time, you build these great walls to keep the enemy out. Well, they surround them and they starve you. You have your fields built outside the cities. Well, they, they eat your food while you can't go anywhere. You can't get water, you can't get food, and they, they surround you until you surrender. This panic. And then what happens when you get a bunch of hungry, unclean people together? Disease. And this is, this is not some happenstance, something that happens. This is, then I will do this to you. So as the Lord prospers them, as the Lord makes their vines grow and gives them fruit, also the Lord says, I will bring destruction to you because this is the Lord's right. We are his. We are his workmanship. We are bought with a price if we are in Christ. But his demand of us is faithfulness, is obedience. Obedience is, is better than sacrifice. God doesn't want our contrition. He doesn't want our, 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 us going through the motions and offering these sacrifices if there's no real contrition. He doesn't accept those kinds of offerings. So the phrase that we see used here, we also see in Luke chapter 23, Jesus used. It's a little different context. In Luke chapter 23, verse 30, Jesus is talking about what it will be like for those who don't come to him. What will it be like for them? Then they, will, then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. Why? Because our only protection, our only prosperity comes from Christ. Our only hope of salvation is in Christ. Hosea is preaching to the, the Israelites, God has prospered you. Calamity will come upon you because you refuse to turn to him. Because you refuse to put to death the, the sin 
in your flesh, those deeds of sin, because you refuse to destroy your idols. <clears throat> what idols do we have? What idols do we have in our heart? What idols do we have in our homes? What things do we hold on to and cherish that are worthless? Or more than worthless that are an abomination to God? Who brought the, this desperate situation on the northern kingdom? <clears throat> they did. They did by their faithlessness, by their mixing with other gods. Who is responsible for our own faithlessness? We are. We are responsible to, to take the, the idols from our house and to destroy them. The desolation of the northern and the southern kingdoms has come to pass already. So we're reading this in a historical context. But like much of Scripture, what we need to understand is there is a, a desolation yet to come. There is an ending yet to come. <clears throat> Christ will return. And it's easy for us in our, in our kind of Western Christianity mindset to say that, the Christ, that Christ will come in some joyous way and he'll save all the world, right? Uh, like the, the love wins, Rob Bell idea that somehow or a way or another, everybody gets saved. No, no. We don't see that in Scripture anywhere. In fact, what we see is those who are disobedient to God, those who don't worship him in a pure fashion, they're not his. You are not mine, declares the Lord. The judgment is, is yet to come. Um, we, we read today, the last day of mankind will come as, as Jesus comes. And he will come with what? A sword. Yes, Jesus is love. Yes, Jesus is mercy. But there's no more divisive figure in all of history than Jesus Christ because he comes and brings the word to us and lays it before us and confronts us. And when we look at the word of God, we see a reflection of our sinfulness. So yes... There's nothing that can be done now for the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. That's past. But what do we do with this call to break down our, our, our altars and to tear down the high places in our hearts? This is the message that Christ has for us today. If God called on his people who he richly blessed to put away their idols and worship him, that they would be saved, this is the same message that Christ brings for us today. We see in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, John the Baptist, crying in the wilderness, says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
What is the call for us today? For believers, are there idols in our hearts? Are we mixing our worship with God with some putrescent thing? Is there some impurity in our way? If so, we need to put those things to death. But if you're here today and you still stand as a rebel against the kingdom of God, if you're standing here today and you're concerned with your own kingdom and building your own life and bringing pleasure to your own self, then this is, this is a warning to you that the Assyrian king that we see in um, chapter 10 here, <clears throat> this is a metaphor for our own life. All the idols that we've made, everything that we love, everything that we pour time into, every, every penny that we earn will be destroyed. It'll be burned up. That king that we have on the idol on the on the throne of our heart, which is us. Our, what's our problem with God? Is that we're not Him. He has our job. As lost persons, it's this is the the frustration that we have with God is that He desires to replace that throne in our heart. But that king will be carried off. Our own selfish desire, all those things will, will be burned off. And we have to face Christ. So if, you're, if your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, if you have not come to Christ in repentance and turned away from your sins, I implore you, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait another second. Because what we see today, what Hosea didn't say, is that on the eighth day of the seventh month, Assyria is coming. No, he just told them it was happening. He didn't tell them when. We don't know when Christ returns. We don't know when our lives will end. None of us are promised a day. Dale had a day this week, I'm pretty sure, where he thought, Lord, is this it? Because he was very ill. It can come in an instant. Is your desire for the Lord? Is your desire for His things? Do you want to go after you're finished in this life, to heaven so you can be in the presence of the Lord? Is that your desire? Or do we have some strange mixed up idea of what it's going to be like in the ever after? We're not going to go and play golf forever. We're not going to go watch Star Wars forever. We're not going to go, none of that stuff will matter. Those things are ridiculous. Heaven is heaven because God will be there. It's where he'll dwell among his people. And this is what we're called to do in the same way that Israel was called to obedience. We are called to obedience. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, we're grateful that your desire is to bring about an end to idolatrous worship. Father, we're great, grateful that for those of us who have been called according to your purpose, that you bring discipline into our lives. And Lord, we ask that you could reveal to us the idols of our hearts so that we could break them, so we could tear down the high places. If there's anything in us, any unclean way in us, 
Father, we pray you would let us know. You would break our heart for it and you would give us strength to destroy it. Most gracious God, we thank you that you're long-suffering. We thank you that you don't destroy us today because of our sin. We thank you that you give us opportunity, that you give us power to overcome our sins, that you place faith within us, and you continually draw us to yourself. Lord, my prayer today as we leave is that our mind would be active, thinking about whatever idols we may have in our lives, and that our desire uh, would be to to destroy those, but to to do that together. Father, this is a church that you've put together of your people, and individually our desire is to be like Christ, but as a church, our desire is to be filled with people who are like Christ. We want to honor you. We pray that you could help us to do that, Father. And as we, we leave today, I pray that you would continue to deal with us on these issues, that you would continually stir us up, that we wouldn't leave and nod our heads at a good word and then turn to the other things that interest us. But we would be about trying to understand, Father, how we can avoid these same pitfalls, how we can worship you and honor you the way that you desire for us to do. So Lord, we ask that uh, as we close that uh, you would stir us up for good works. You would stir us up that our desire would be to be holy as you're holy. And Lord, that um, we would work to that end. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.